Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, Bia Farm Real Estate Company, 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants. Well, welcome everyone to the Chasing Giants podcast, episode 157 with Don Higgins. I'm Terry Peer. We're brought to you by Osseo Gear. And Don, you're sitting there in your Osseo vest, just got off the stage at a big event out in Kansas doing a seminar with Bronson Strickland and the prodigy Wesley Ducks. Yep, I've had a busy week and I've still got uh, five days left on this trip, but uh, today we was in Salina, Kansas. I just drove in and got into a motel room. I've literally been in this motel room less than 10 minutes probably. And uh, hooked up with you for this podcast and i'll tell you what i am going to bed when we're done wait a second you you didn't get to break in the toilet yet i did not i walked (laughs) in i got my computer fired up and i'm ready to roll well in the next hour we'll see if you have to take a break and pause the podcast as we can get through this so Uh, We got a big show for you today. As promised, we're going to spend a segment talking about frost seeding. This is probably the hottest question that's coming in on all the social media and email right now. So we're going to talk all things frost seeding and try to give everybody some advice because the time is right now. Um, We got some great questions to answer, but I'm really curious before we have our break for Osseo, uh what was uh bronson strickland's message tonight what was wesley's message give us the lowdown of this event and even the other two that you had this week yeah so i started actually on wednesday i drove uh got up wednesday morning and i drove up to minnesota uh by winona had a great event up there probably i don't know 250 or so people um, great crowd. They asked questions for two hours at the end of my presentation. Um, you know, it was just uh, every place I go, it's just fantastic people. Uh, but when I left there Wednesday night, there was a snowstorm, a blizzard coming across the plains, across Nebraska, because I had to be in Nebraska the next night. And it was a seven hour drive from where I was at in Minnesota to where I had to be the next night. And I decided that before that, I was going to drive as much as I could that night before that storm hit or until I ran into the storm. Well, I drove down through uh, Des Moines, Iowa, and I got west of Des Moines on I-80 and stopped and got a motel room, which was uh, over halfway to where I had to be the next day. And then I got up and it was a blizzard the next day. Um, I I watched two semis wreck in the lane coming at me on I-80. Yeah, it was I-80, and uh, they they literally, it just, I mean, it just happened in front of me, and they were, they had totally blocked both lanes, both ditches. There was, even a four-wheel drive truck was not getting around these semis in the ditches. They had it stopped. Oh, no. I was just glad it wasn't my lane, but then uh, I got to Nebraska, another fantastic event down there. Um, we I thought that 
the weather, that snowstorm was going to keep people away, but there were still probably 250 to 300 people at that event. Um, then I did a consulting job the next day in Nebraska, uh, a couple hours from where that event was at. Uh, and, and man, you would have this, you would have been in heaven there, Terry. This was Joe Chambers, who, who the custom gun maker. His guns have been on the cover of Guns and Ammo magazines and just uh he, he's made uh guns for celebrities um, he makes he makes one of the best 1911s ever made um yeah abs absolutely phenomenal work well i got a video to show you it's, it's one i cannot post on social media <laughs> <laughs> but uh oh, joe's just a fantastic guy I had fun with him on friday and then did you get to uh, did you get to crack one off Oh yeah. <laughs> you got to shoot some of his stuff. That's what I'm yep. talking about. Yep. Absolutely. He he's I got a t-shirt and a hat for you. And awesome. uh you ought to meet this guy. He's just he's fantastic. His, as is his wife Heidi. Um they just rolled out the red carpet for me. Um well if then, he's listening to the podcast, uh he and I need to do some business because I'm in the market for a special piece that is right up his alley. So I'll be sure to uh, connect with him. He'll, I'm telling you, super, super good guy. Um, then I left his place on uh, Friday evening and I drove to Salina, Kansas for the event there today and I had uh, supper, ended up having supper with the West Elks and, and Dr. Strickland and uh, Jeremy Sluter, who's with Phillips Seed Farm, our, our distributor out in Kansas. And some other guys, I think there was, uh, well, actually, Jeremy's wife and daughter was there. And I, I don't know, three or four other guys, uh, you know, associated with them. And, and I'm telling you, I, I just get treated like royalty when I go to these places. And, um, you, you know, folks waiting in line to talk to me at the beginning, at the end of the event. Uh, Dr. Strickland had a fantastic, had two presentations. He did one in the morning and one in the afternoon. Uh, his morning presentation was more on nutrition and then his afternoon was on uh, genetics and, and culling, you know, raising the glass ceiling on buck management or breaking through the glass ceiling. And it fit right in line with, with what I was talking about too. Um, this was an absolutely fantastic event. Phillips Seed Farm just, I mean, it was just first class all the way. There was probably about Oh, a dozen or so vendors that had booths there um, besides Phillips Seed Farm. And uh, I, I mean, a, just a fantastic catered lunch. And uh, it, it was so good that I was taking pictures to share with our other distributors as an idea for them to put on events yeah. in the future. I think this is the I think this is the wave of the future. I think we're going to continue to get away from trade shows and offer more specialized training at events like this, especially with our distributor network around the country, because um, I just, it, it, it saves a bunch of things. It allows us to have more of a presentation Q and A format with more people versus just people walking by a booth. And it also allows us to save a lot of shipping for people because you said, you said that a lot of product was picked up because people came in for this event and then they didn't have to ship it. So there's a lot of wins for this and obviously a lot of more time we can spend with people that come to it versus the hectic show uh, show circuits and 
let's face it, most most trade shows aren't worth going to anymore. There still are a few. I know the NWTF um, event is going on right now, and we got another distributor down there. But um, I think I think this is more the wave of the future, and we're going to try to figure out a way to bring this on the road more. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was probably, uh, I'm going to guess, 250 to 300 people at this event, but uh, they, they were all serious land managers. And, uh, you know, they weren't there to, um, you know, buy trinkets at some, you know, flea market booth at a, at a deer show. These, these folks were serious land managers. They sat through four presentations. And even at the end of the four presentations, they were just asking questions right and left. Nobody was getting up, leaving early. Um, they were there for business. Yeah, and then the uh, the third speaker of the day was Wes Delks. And just to show how humble this young man is, I got a text with a picture of him on stage with both of you. And the only thing he said was, I can't believe I even get to be on stage with these two. Where most where most kids his age are on Instagram or social media taking selfies with duck lips and and trying to promote themselves, this young man's uh, humility to just be honored and I'm sure his presentation had some great points and great content to it. But uh, I'm happy to see that he got to participate in this also. Yeah, he did. He did a fantastic job. I'm real proud of him at the end. You know, he shared a short testimony on a scripture and prayed for the crowd. And uh, I'm, I'm telling you, he holds my feet to the fire. He, iron sharpens iron. And, and, and you know, Wes is as good as they come. Well, um, I'm going to segue with that real quick before we talk about the consulting visit I'm on today. We had a um, contest, actually it wasn't a contest, but we had a company approach us that we did business with. I bought you a Christmas present from this company um, and it, it ended up getting lost in shipping or something, but I ended up getting to meet the owner and uh, he found out about Lester's Feet Foundation and offered to do a campaign and they did a giveaway for five winners if our podcast listeners went to their website and signed up for their newsletter. So I'm going to share my screen right now for Hardcore Hammers. Their website is hardcorehammers.com. And you can read off five winners off of the slide that I'm showing right now for the people who are listening on the other platforms. These winners will be contacted by Hardcore Hammers to uh, provide shipping addresses and you're going to win free product. Not sure what each one wins, but again, we want to thank these guys. The reason we um, did this with this company, they're not a sponsor, um, just a great product, great customer service, and they wanted to help out with Lester's feet, so we appreciate that. Yeah, so the winners are Brian Hendricks, um, no state given for Brian, uh, Jeremy Holloman from Ohio, Keith Harrington from Tennessee, Ray I'm not sure how to say his last name. Ray DeLongpray. DeLongpray. Yep. DeLongpray Jr. from Michigan and Jacob Kripe from Illinois. You guys are winners. So you guys are going to be receiving an email from Hardcore Hammers. Make sure you check your spam. Um, if you don't get any information or don't see anything, send me a message on social media and I'll get you hooked up with those to receive your prize. Again, thank you for very much for uh, companies like this who 
have found out about Lester's feet and been willing to help, they're going to make a donation of all the proceeds. When someone uses the co- the coupon code Giants when they order from their website, so I got to tell you, Don Austin Razor and I jumped in the car last night and drove all the way up in the northwest corner of Ohio to a town called Edon to visit with one of our real world dealers uh, today. Super great family. Uh, we had just a blast starting early this morning for breakfast, walked their farm, and I want to tell you. The farm that I was on today has the best access and layout of any property I've been on this year, and I've been on some fantastic properties. And the plan that we came up with together today, I'm going to be drawing it up from the over the next couple of days, going over it with you, and then you approve the plan and send it out later when you get back home. I'm telling you, this is the closest to Higgins 3.0 as far as access of anything I've been on this year. This has every wind direction you can hunt with bedding, food, just fantastic property. I am I am so excited about all the all the projects I'm working on, but this one especially, these boys are going to have a phenomenal place to hunt. I bet they were fired up. I was up there last summer and did a seminar. Um, for, for them and I, I guarantee you those guys are fired up to to see your plan and I I know we talked before we got on the air here and you was telling me how good it was so um, I'm happy as can be for those guys. Well, I'm not going to talk specifics about it because I don't want his neighbors knowing the secrets. I mean it's it's got just enough topography you can't see anything from roads. He's locked in by neighbors and uh, an ag field just phenomenal. But I tell you, the funniest thing of the day, we spent almost all day with him and then drove back late tonight. We just rolled in also. His little brother was with us, and, you know, he was kind of quiet at first and didn't say much and had this big smile on his face. And after we got done looking at the property, they took us around and showed us this big beef cattle operation that they all work as part of. You know, they there's some of them that raise the calves up to a certain point and then they switch them to a different style feedlot. Then they switch them to a different style feedlot to finish them all the way out. And they took us to this huge where they mix the feed for all of these different farms. Just unbelievable. So we got to tour all of this today and then went to lunch and I dropped them back off at the house and his little brother comes out and says, Hey Terry, I got something for you. And I don't know if he'd been carrying these little Debbies in his pocket the whole day or not, but he hands me two packs of little Debbies before before I got in the car to go home. So uh, that was a good time. Those, those, those boys were uh, were a hoot today. Well, good for him. You know, uh, I had a, a young man give me a, a package of deer jerky um, there in Salina today. And I ate on that the whole way to the motel, you know, for two hours. That was some of the best deer jerky I've ever had. So these people just treat us so good that yeah, yeah, they cook. They cook me homemade cinnamon rolls to send back home with us. I mean, it's it's amazing. And you know, I don't tour around with you very much, but when I do, the 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 kindness people show us, and when we show up at their places, it's it's just unbelievable. Yeah. We're, we are definitely blessed. No doubt about it. Well, a couple people, and I'm not going to say a lot of people, but probably about 15 or 20 people have been asking me about the gun project. And before we take a break, I'm going to give an update on that because it's coming along 
a little bit that I can talk about, but uh, I actually did get this arrived. So this is my, uh, I'll show this to everybody. I researched what optic I'm going to put on this. And for the people who don't know, uh, we talked about, I'm going to be building a truck gun. So some type of AR platform, but probably in 300 blackout. So if I suppress it, I can shoot subsonic ammo in it and it'll, it'll be really quiet, but researching an optics, I got this in, this is the package of a vortex AMG, the new UH one gen two holographic site. And this thing is going to be really, really cool. I've never owned one. I've owned EOTEX before, but, uh, real heavy duty, hard case. So when we're talking about, um, you know, my truck gun or, uh, a smaller rifle, that's what's going to be my optic on it. So pretty excited about that. I have not picked it up. Um, it's going to look very similar. I can actually show this on, on camera. This is uh, the little doohickey that used to go on the back side of it that's now illegal. has been removed, so I'm not a felon. So we're going to be in like that somewhere. Be able to go right underneath the back seat of the truck when I'm on the road. So that's the goal. So I'm going to be having a different model than this. I've, I've selected Anderson, who is a customer of ours and good friends um, for my day job. So we're going to be I'm building that. So everybody, a couple people has been asking about an update of the AR project. So that's where that's at. Oh, I meant to ask you, did you get did you get to pick up your truck from Chris Yates or did that snowstorm mess everything up? Yeah, the snow messed it all up, but uh I'm guessing probably Monday I'll pick up my truck. All right. Make sure you get a picture of that so we can share with it. I believe yep. my truck is in. I just have to uh, figure out a time to meet up with him on it. So, all right, well, let's take a quick break and move to Osseo. So we have a lot of time to talk about frost eating clover. Osseo gear introduces a premium line of bow hunting gear that is unmatched pairing nature's finest camouflage with the best technological innovations. Osseo Gear brings whitetail bow hunters the gear they need to be the best at their craft. The unique camouflage mimics the intricate feather pattern of North America's greatest predatorial creatures. Designed for invisibility, built for comfort, and engineered for function. Visit OsseoGear.com. That's A-S-I-O Gear.com to start shopping. Osseo Gear. Prepare to be invisible. All right, Don. The, the hot topic of this time of the year, we're in February. Most of the country is in prime position on the calendar to start frost seeding. The most popular product that we talk about frost seeding with is clover but there are certain circumstances where we would frost seed products like soil charge our new soil builder product and even some people want to um, frost seed switchgrass so for the conversation to start i think let's focus on clover because i think it applies to more people and let's think of it as a discussion of how when and why so let's start with how, what conditions are we looking for when we're looking to frost seed? If clover is different than like a soil charge or a switchgrass product, just kind of define that. So how are we frost seeding? What's methods here? Well, we're, we're broadcasting that seed basically on top of either a prepared seed bed or we're, we're trying to overseed onto an older clover uh, planting, you know, that's maybe thinned. Uh, to to keep a good uh, um, you know established uh, clover base, um, 
I just absolutely, or actually frost seeded my clover right before I left on this trip because uh, we were starting to get some warmer days. There wasn't really any cold days in the 10 day forecast when I left. And uh, it, it was looking like, and still does look like we're gonna have an early spring. Of course I could change in a heartbeat, but uh, you know, clovers typically you, you wanna plant them, frost seed them later in, in the winter, early spring, um, later is better. Uh, you you wanna still get some freezing and thawing on it to work that seed into the ground. Um, but you don't want to do it too early. Um, you also don't want to wait too late. You know, uh, once that ground really firms up, like right now, if the ground is thawed and, and you're walking across it, you know, you're going to be picking mud up on your boots. You're going to be maybe sinking to your ankles or whatever. But at some point, um, you know, that all changes and the ground firms up and you're not picking up mud. And uh, you want to try to beat that. You want to, still has some freezing and thawing going on um you know, you know typically our, our, our head seedsman i just to interrupt you i want to make a quick point right there with what you said our head seedsman Dwayne hopkins made a great point about you know planting when it's soft and you know Dwayne's Dwayne's got his his facts together with this kind of stuff and i think the easiest way to remember it is he said if you're walking out across the spot you want to plant and the heel of your boot sinks down to where that mud's on the side of the heel, it's too muddy to plant. You're, you're going to have your seed go too deep in that mud. Uh, you want to be able to be up on top of it. If your boot sinks to where the mud's on the, each side of the boot of that heel, it's, it's a little too soft, right? Yeah. And, you know, you can do it on frozen ground even. Go out early in the morning if you get an overnight freeze and uh, do it while that ground is still frozen and hard where you're not leaving tracks. Um, well, it, it's a really good way to establish or to maintain a, a clover plot that's already planted that's maybe thinning out. And, you know, in my personal situation is uh, I had the clover really getting taken over by grasses and such, and I could have sprayed clethodim to, to kill those grasses last fall, um, but, it was so bad that there wasn't enough clover left to, to really warrant that. So I just started from scratch. I used glyphosate and I, and I killed my clover strips, basically my fire breaks. And then I came in with the Genesis drill and I drilled in that clover last fall, but then it, it was so stinking dry last fall that yeah, the clover came up, but it just didn't do anything. It, it was real tiny, you know, and, and the deer ate it off too. Well, you can still see those rows to this day that were drilled in, but I, I was really concerned, um, you know, how good that's gonna look in the spring. So I just went in and with my uh, extreme blower cedar and I, I blew on some, some additional seed here right before I left and, and I'll have a fantastic stand of clover. It's, you know, now it's just a matter of the, you know, the temperature's warming up and that new seed to germinate along with, you know, whatever survived from last fall's planting to come on as well. Yeah, let's talk about the seed bed a little bit. We get a lot of questions that it might be the idea to frost seed in, um, how do I say it, a area that was maybe in a fall product that has a lot of grasses and brassicas maybe in it or people that want to go on a soybean field or maybe in a corn field when we're frost seeding 
is it a good idea to go over top of another product other than clover or do we want to make sure it's a clean seed bed well ideally it'd be a clean seed bed but you you can do it uh you know on something like uh harvest salad or whatever the thing of it is is those cereal grains are going to green up really quick in the spring they're already rooted and established where that clover you're starting from a little seed so what you're going to need to do is mow that um, you know, on a pretty regular basis right out of the gate. And, and as you mow that cereal grain, I mean, it's going to take more than one mowing, you know, mow it every three or four weeks. And, and eventually the, the clover will dominate that stand as those cereal grains, you know, get killed off from the mowing. But uh, I would much rather see that be seeded into a prepared seed bed where you're, you're it's really getting down there into that bare soil. Yeah, if it's me, I'm going to let that harvest salad green up in the spring so the deer use it. And then as it gets a little bit later, go ahead and terminate that and prepare the seed bed and start fresh with clover. If it's a if it's a soybean field, that's a little bit different because you don't have a lot of weeds and residue. Usually, unless corn has been chisel plowed or tilled in the fall, you have a lot of picked corn residue on the ground. You're going to waste a lot of seed because that seed's going to lay on top of corn husks and a lot of trash. But if it's a work corn bed, a corn field bed, seed bed, it, it should work. But unless it's really going in a prepared soil that you got ready in the fall, my preferred method is to wait and let that stuff green up, let the deer eat it down, terminate it and start fresh. And you'll end up having to mow it less and use less chemicals if, if you end up choosing to use chemicals on it. Um, but frost seeding really, let's, let's switch to, uh, we've talked about uh, how, and uh, how and when. Uh, the why is um, we really want to fill those voids before weeds can come up in those open areas. We want that to be uh, clover to fill those empty holes. Right. And, you know, the, a legume like uh, clover is going to germinate really early, um, which a lot of weeds do as well. But, uh, you know, with one or two good mowings, you can take care of most of those weeds and and get that clover to dominate the stand. Yep. Well, you know, we try not to make everything a real world commercial on here, but one of the other questions we'll kind of end this segment with is we have a lot of people that said, you know, they've planted other types of clover in a food plot before. Is it okay to frost seed the real world clover? Because they, I think they start understanding that a blend of clover that has different specific types are going to peak in different, uh, um, feed value throughout the year versus having one type of clover there. Do you need to terminate what existing clover is there or can you just go over the top and not waste it? You can go right over the top of whatever's there. Uh, clovers can coexist, different varieties of clovers. Uh, now with, with uh, alfalfa, it's totally different. Right. Uh, an alfalfa plant is going to give off a toxin that, that's going to prevent a new alfalfa plant. So you know, you do an alfalfa planting and whatever you get is what you get until that is terminated or, you know, slowly peters out over time. And then you come back with a different crop and, and you got to rotate. But with clover, you, you can just keep adding to it, keep it going forever. Right. And I really think that mowing and frost seeding is the best maintenance method. I think people are a little too quick to go with chemicals. It's probably they view it as the easiest way. 
But if you stay up on top of it as mowing it and frost seeding when it gets thin at the right times, I think you can have a really good stand. All right. Now, the new product we came out with called Soil Charge that is our soil builder, if it's uh, like going into a soybean field or a prepared seedbed, that product can be frost seeded also. Dwayne, Dwayne strategically picked this product that you could frost seed it. Right. But again, you, you need to do it into a prepared seedbed. You can't just go out there and broadcast it wherever you want and think you're going to get a good stand. If there's right. competition, it, it's going to have a negative uh, effect on that, the success of that frost seeding. Yep. So good dialogue. It's just a lot of questions that we get asked. Um, if you have further questions, leave them down below in the comments or send us a message. We'll work those in. But again, this time of year, most of the country is ready to get rolling on this. But it's like Dwayne always says, read the weather, not the calendar necessarily. Make sure your conditions are really what they need to be. Um, whether it's frost seeding or planting soybeans or even a fall product, you need to read that calendar and what Mother Nature does is is a, the true measurement of when things need to happen. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, let's um, let's listen to a quick spot from another one of our sponsors and we'll come back with one of our first questions of the night. Wildlife Farming is the leading e-commerce platform specializing in habitat management equipment. Our mission is to make available the equipment necessary for the development of wildlife habitat and improve conservation for hunting and recreational property. We carry flagship brands like the Genesis Drill and Goliath Roller, as well as the premier brands in planting, mowing, spraying, forestry management, and fencing equipment. Food plot and habitat goals vary. Wildlife Farming is the company that can deliver the equipment to achieve these goals. Equipment is our specialty. Our staff is trained and familiar with all the tractor and skid steer brands to make sure you get the right piece of equipment to get the job done right the first time. At Wildlife Farming, we only sell quality equipment and we have the support and expertise you need. Please visit wildlifefarming.com for all of your equipment needs. All right, Don. Well, we're getting ready to throw the first question up on the board. You got anything else you want to talk about before we do that? I just one thing, you know, Terry, uh, something interesting happened today at Salina at that event. You know, I, I got compared to Joe Biden. And what? I, I wasn't even offended, really, when the, when the, the guy said that. He said that uh, I'm kind of like Joe Biden because whenever – Either one of us opens our mouth, you have no idea what's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought about it, and I thought, I don't know if that was an insult or what, but I really can't argue with it. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I, I never think... thought I'd be compared to Joe Biden and not be mad about it. But Yeah, that's, that's an interesting Hey, uh, we don't we don't get on uh, we haven't gotten on a political kick, but I gotta ask you on this podcast, what's your take on these train derailments? Because we didn't know it. We were up in Amish country. Was it two weeks ago? Mm -hmm. When the East Palestine one happened, we didn't even know about it till I got home. What do you think of this? Another one happened up in Michigan. Well, I mean, it's obvious that. I mean, you could not plan to destroy this country and do a better job than what's happening right now. 
And you know, the, the one in Ohio, the, the feds weren't even going to come in there and, and do anything until Trump announced that he was going to go visit the area. And then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, we're going to go do it. But yet, I mean, these people are, the feds aren't sending any help, any assistance, any aid to, to this region, but yet we're sending it to the Ukraine by the billions of dollars. Well, you, I mean, it's so obvious. The, the money they're sending overseas is coming right back under the table, funneled right back to these dirty, crooked politicians. And, and you know, the train wrecks and these balloons or whatever the heck they're shooting out of the sky and everything else. I mean, you could not plan the destruction of this country and do a better job than what's happening right now. You absolutely have got to be blind to, to not see it. How come when a hurricane happens, all these politicians race down to go stand out there do, around the destruction, but even the news won't even do a story and the word's starting to get out about livestock dying. You know, somebody had all, you know, different chickens and cows and fisheries are getting ruined and, and nobody's saying anything. I think, I think the muzzles are on the media right now that they're not saying a word and uh, it's going to be years before this happens. And if stuff like this keeps happening, uh, we'll probably get banned off of YouTube. But I mean, this isn't this could be an act of terrorism. I mean, it really could. I mean, this could yeah. be a, this could be no, more. Uh, yeah, this probably will get us banned off YouTube. So I better stop. But it, it's um, it, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if there is much, much more to this story than uh than what we're uh being told because and especially because we're not being told anything and this is bad yeah well the the evil empire owns the the media so uh, i mean and the thing is joe biden is not in charge joe biden is not running this country that guy don't have the mental capability to run a household let alone a country and and that's not making fun of him that's just the facts um he, he's old people he's got that dementia. The people that voted for him knew that, and they still voted for him. So, but and he still lost. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, let's move on to the first question. <laughs> All right. The first one comes from Chad Jordan from Avila, Indiana. He says, "Don and Terry, thanks for the great information and spreading the gospel." My question relates to a topic on your recent podcast. You talked about how as a deer matures, he shrinks his home range, and it got me thinking. In your opinion, if you kill a mature deer, do you think another mature buck will move into that home range, assuming it has the best habitat? If so, is this something we can use to our future advantage? Thanks again. Um, Chad, absolutely not. Um, I make it very clear to my consulting clients that you do not draw in deer from other properties. You got to grow your bucks. Um, I, I think typically what happens when a mature buck gets killed, the next buck in line in the pecking order, um, he becomes a lot of times more active, um, he, he more visible. And uh, folks just assume that a new buck moved into the territory. I, I don't think that happens at all. So where does the new buck come from? And why would he leave his old home? You, you think these bucks are all just sitting around reading the newspaper and they hear, oh, Buck Jerry down the road, he got killed yesterday. His home's better than mine. I'm going to run over there. How, how, how do they know this stuff? I mean, 
I think that a lot of times, um, especially outdoor writers, um, you know, podcasters, whoever, uh, people on social media, I think they try to overthink and they try to overcomplicate, the, you know, the whole thing and shooting a buck, a mature buck and removing him from an area does not create a vacuum where some other buck magically just appears from nowhere to take his spot. You got to grow the bucks you want to kill. I, I probably have, I'm going to make a statement and you might disagree with me and it's all right to correct me and tell me I'm an idiot. But I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the deer hunting community is that a property cannot hold multiple mature bucks. And they think that when one, sh one gets shot, more come in. I think there's, I, I think people aren't pay paying enough attention to intrusion and pressure. If you have a property that does not have intrusion and pressure and has what the deer need, you can hold multiple mature bucks. And I just, I don't think, and maybe you have a different opinion, but I think that's the biggest misconception in the hunting community is I can only hold one six-year-old. Oh, I agree with you a hundred percent. My, my property is living proof. And, and basically my property is where I've got my ideas from seeing it firsthand. I, I didn't, I didn't repeat some nonsense that I read on the internet last week. Like a lot of these people do. My views are coming from firsthand experience on my property. And I've seen it time after time, after time, multiple mature bucks right in the peak of the rut multiple mature bucks in, in the same area together. I mean, three yards apart from each other, cruising together, walking out into a food plot together. A, a mature buck, he wants safety more than anything. He, and he, he would much rather spend his daylight hours in a thicket where he's with a dozen other bucks if that's the safest place in his range. Absolutely. So, just a lot of misinformation out there. And I think the idea that you shoot one mature buck and another one just magically appears from somewhere and takes his spot, I, I think is nonsense. Yep. I, um, I, I just, I don't know. I think, I think a lot of people, this is another place where they get a little bit too, or maybe they overcomplicate things, if you will. And and this is where we keep saying over and over and over that discipline is the center hub to every plan. And if you stay out, uh, we talked about it today when we were walking the farm up in Ohio. If you stay out and have great access on a property, it will completely change the game on yours. I mean, look at my little farm in Kentucky. I got I got all kinds of hunters all the way around me. And this year, time after time after time, had had three six-year-olds or older on that little piece. Um, I, the way we hunt a property is much more important than overthinking buck to doe ratios and if something's going to move in here. So I think, Mike, you have a great question, and I think it's uh, probably one of the most misunderstood things in the hunting community. Uh, the next one comes from Mike Egros from Monison, Pennsylvania. Hope I said those right. But anyway, he says, hey, guys, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Now, most hunters use some type of mineral out there on the market to help in growing antlers. If anyone who has listened to this podcast knows that it's not the cure-all for growing giant antlers, but it kind of helps. Every company has their analysis on the package done by some company or maybe just made up. 
Now, here's my question. Is there a company that can tell you the exact makeup of mineral in the antlers of deer and figure out what mineral they are lacking and get that into a made mineral to put out for deer consumption to try and help with antler growth? Thanks for your time, fellas. Um, well, Mike, I picked your question for two reasons. One, we're getting into that time period where you want to start putting your mineral out. If uh, you don't have mineral out yet, um, it, it's about time because they're going to be hitting it here fairly quick. Um, as far as the, the content of deer antlers, actually, when uh, so, so the whole story with Maximizer Mineral started in my captive deer pen. Um, I've told the story before and I'll tell it briefly again right here. I had at one year, I had seven twin sets of twin buck fawns. I separated those seven sets of twins into two different pens, seven bucks in each pen. Each buck had a twin buck in the opposite pen. I fed those bucks the same feed, all they could eat of the same feed, but the one pen, I top dressed their feed every day with a mineral concoction that I was working on at the time. And then at the end of the antler growing season, we would tranquilize the bucks, take the gross boon and crockett antler score of, of the antlers and, and then remove their antlers. So you gotta do that with captive deer to keep them from killing each other um, during the rut. So then we would total up the, the total number of inches in each pen and compare them. And uh, you know, I, I told this today in Salina that I, I believe through that experiment that I did that I'm a, on a mature deer, through nutrition, which includes minerals, that you can add about 15% to the gross antler score of mature buck. Now, here, here's the kicker. If you're in a region that has really good, rich soils, you're gonna have way less impact than if you're in an area with really poor soils. Um, so let's bring that back to your question about you know, the nutrient content of antlers. So when, when I was working on that maximizer mineral, I, when I was like towards the end of my experiment, um, I started uh, consulting with two animal nutritionists and a, a whitetail veterinarian um, to fine tune, had them look at my formulation and see what they thought of, of that formula. And we tweaked it just a little bit. I, I was absolutely shocked at how close I was to what these professional nutritionists were recommending, but we did tweak it a little bit. And these guys had broken down the, the antler composition by grinding up antler and then analyzing the nutrients in it. And that information was used in the creation of Maximizer Mineral. Um, now, I don't recall right off the top of my head what that, that antler uh, you know, analyzed out at, uh, that powder that they'd created from that antler, but I'm sure I can go back through uh, my old emails and, and, and find that information out. But to your point, Mike, yeah, we've already done that. That was part of the process of creating Maximizer Mineral. And I promise you there is no mineral out there. I don't care who makes it. You can talk about the biggest names in the whole livestock feed industry or you can talk about some little guy that's just mixing it up in his garage. I'm telling you, there's nothing out there like Maximizer. It's got science behind it. It's got real world experience in the deer pen behind it. It is the only mineral product that is marketed to deer hunters that captive deer breeders are also using in their deer pens. 
you don't find these guys with the captive deer, you know, mixing some lucky rock or whatever in their their deer feed. <laughs> they just that those products are not being used at all by captive deer breeders, and yet they're buying maximizer by the pallets to feed captive deer, and there's a reason for it. It's different. There's over 20 different nutrients in Maximizer, more than any other. But what's really important is the ratios of those that they're in the right ratios for the deer to properly utilize them. Well, I think part of his question is saying, can you take a shed antler from your property and have it ground and see that one specific mineral is lacking and then feed just that mineral? And I don't think that's possible or the right approach to anything. Uh, absolutely not. Dr. Strickland covered that some today in the presentation in Salina that, uh, you know, if, if you're way out of whack on one nutrient in your mix, well, even if it's salt, a deer is only going to consume so much salt. So these high salt products is really going to limit the, the deer's intake of those important micronutrients because you know, that, that salt is going to cause them to stop consuming that product. Once, once they get all the salt they can handle, they still may be lacking in, say, calcium or phosphorus or zinc or whatever, but yet for them to get the proper amount that they would need of those other nutrients, you know, they would really have to uh, um, consume way an overabundance of salt, which just is not going to happen. Probably the hottest topic that's come out since we've announced it is this new corn. Yep. This one comes from Alex Grimm from Troy, Ohio. He says, Don and Terry, keep up the great podcast and all the videos you share. You talked about your corn feed you're going to start selling. With all the extra nutrients in this corn, would this be a good year-round nutrition program? Or would you recommend mixing it with your maximizer feed? Will you be adding this corn to your Maximizer Plus feed? Great question, Alex. Alex, this corn by itself is going to be lacking a lot of nutrients that a deer need. Now, it's going to be way more attractive than regular corn. It's going to have more protein. It's going to have more fat. And it's going to have less starch, which makes it a way better feed than, than any other corn. However, there's a lot of other micronutrients that it's going to be lacking. I think if you would mix that NutriCrave corn, and with the maximizer concentrate pellets at the recommended rate of 200 pounds per ton, you would have a lot better feed. I think you're still gonna be just a little bit low on the protein level, but uh, I think everything else would be pretty much in line. Uh, one thing about that corn that it's really gonna allow a person to do that, that's trying to provide a balanced feed, a complete feed is that, it's really going to cut down on your expense as far as adding protein sources because you're going to have so much more protein in that corn. Uh, the other thing, you know, is fat. Um, you know, fat's one, a very expensive ingredient in feed. With the high fat levels in that corn, you're not going to have to add that. So I think it's actually going to save some money um, for folks that are using it to, as part of a, a complete balanced diet. Um, as far as adding it to our, our complete feed, we are absolutely trying to grow enough of that that we can start using it in the manufacture of our complete feed. And I think that once we, we are going to get to that point at some point, we're just trying to speculate on how much of that corn we're going to need. 
And I think once we get there to the point where that corn is in that feed, there is going to be no better feed on the market as far as attraction and as far as the nutrients it's providing to the deer. Yeah, we don't know how many of these uh, crazy, uh, crazy guys are going to buy this stuff yet. So we're uh, we're we're expanding our production of this for this year. I want to circle back. You and I recently were on a farm that had a supplemental feed program on it and we saw a feed tag and we saw a great example about how people are kind of using weird ways of getting fat and protein into feed. Do you remember this one? Uh -oh, you're... Your Wi-Fi is getting bad. I can't hardly hear you now and you're stalled out. There you go. I see you um, moving now. Okay. Do you remember enough of that to remember what they were using as artificial fat content in that feed? Um, I do remember. We was in Ohio, right? Yep. And uh, was, it, was it animal byproducts? Yep. Yeah. So, so people, so people are, people are putting on their bag that they have really high protein and fat, but they're fine trying to find really cheap ways of getting that. But that might not be the healthy part of the deer. Uh, and we didn't script this and I don't want to talk about specific names, but this is just a way of educating people. If you're looking for a higher protein source, Talk a little bit about what to watch for and what to stay away from, because just because it says high protein, high fat and gives a big percentage, it might not be the best thing. Yeah. When we were on that farm, you know, they had a pallet of feed and Terry uh, ripped off a, a tag and the analysis was actually really good. You know, the, the, the percentage of protein, the percentage of fat, the fiber levels, it was all really good. It was a pelleted feed. But then when you when you read the ingredients to see where they was getting those nutrients, uh, it was things like animal byproducts. And, you know, you can make a pretty a feed that has great analysis with some byproducts. And, and it's but the quality is just not there. And I, I strongly urge against feeding animal byproducts, uh, especially to. Uh, uh, ruminant animals that's how the mad cow disease started you know they were taking scraps from slaughterhouses and grinding that stuff up and putting it right back in the feed so the cows were basically eating other cows and that's what caused the mad cow and and basically CWD is a basically the same thing as mad cow disease only it's you know in uh, deer instead of cattle so I strongly urge you to not use a feed that's using animal byproducts in it. Um, something that we're never going to do. Um, quality is number one for us, not price. Uh, there's a lot of companies that can produce a feed that the analysis is going to look very, very similar. And it might even look better than the real world complete feed. But when you start looking at the ingredients and how they got that analysis, it's really going to become clear that they're using some byproducts that you probably don't want to be feeding your deer. And they have to legally disclose that on a tag. Right. So spend just a little bit of time. We, we always say, I don't care if you buy our product or not. We, we hope you give us a chance and we hope we deserve your second chance. 
uh, to reap as a repeat customer. But if anything we do, it's to educate you to make the best decision. And this is kind of like the new, I would, I wouldn't say scam, but kind of a, kind of a hidden secret that nobody's really talking about, just like uh, inoculant was on seed coatings back in the day to cheapen up product, but make it look pretty. Yeah. Well, the, the, the feed industry is very competitive as far as price, way more competitive than the seed industry. So the, the profit margins are really, really tight. And, and you know, companies are looking to, to cut that, that cost um, that they have invested in the product and, and still be able to meet certain analysis. Like the, they want to hit 16% protein, for example. What's the cheapest way that they can get that 16% protein? And this really goes right back to the corn. If our corn is coming out of the field and it's 12% protein, and we've actually had analysis over 13% protein, but if you're starting with 12% protein corn versus starting with 8% protein corn, you've already got the majority of the protein you're going to need in that feed. You're not going to have to spend near as much money to bring that 12% up to 16 as you are that 8% up to 16. Yeah, that this is great dialogue. We could spend a whole uh, episode on this. So if you're interested in learning more about this feed and nutrition program, maybe we just need to focus on that instead of frost seeding one day. Uh, the, the next podcast, if you're if you're interested in hearing more, uh, leave us a message or comment down below. Uh, we're just going to keep this moving and move on to the next question for right now. Yeah, so the next one comes from Bruce Loveless from Carlinville, Illinois, and Bruce has got a dandy. Uh, he <laughs> says, this spring, I'm putting in 111 acres of CRP consisting of a mix of big blue, switchgrass, Indian grass, and a few forbs, which I got from real world. It will be stretched out over a mile, which will give the box plenty of places to choose a bedding area. What are some things I can do to enhance certain areas within the CRP to make box bed closer to my stand sites? I have read where leaving strips or planting pockets of miscanthus are some possibilities. Also, I thought I would share a real world code brown moment. <laughs> Don was on my property back in March of 08. When he got there, he informed me he was getting over the flu. We were just about done with our morning walk and he said he didn't feel good. So that's, I said, you go that way, I'll go this way. When we got back together, not only had he probably left half a sock on my property, he was also carrying a 162 inch deadhead from a buck that I had on video and was hoping would make it <laughs> at least another year. You know what? That's a true story from Bruce. Uh, consulted on his farm way back in 08 <laughs> and uh, had a code brown moment. And when we separated, I went down in this little creek area uh, to find my privacy. And when I did right there, Right where I was was headed was a deadhead, a, a real nice buck that I did my business and I grabbed it and I went back up and showed Bruce. And apparently he I'd forgot all about it, but he I, I made a lasting impression on Bruce. Um, Bruce has killed several nice bucks over the years. He'd already killed some some really good ones before I was there, and in the years since, he sent me uh, several pictures of really nice bucks that he's killed. Um, as far as creating, enhancing the bedding cover within that 111 acres of CRP, Bruce, you hit it on the head, miscanthus. Um, 
in the areas you want those bucks to bed, go in there before you drill in that CRP seed and uh, plant some pockets of miscanthus. And I don't mean, you know, plant it heavy. I mean, if you would just go into, you know, an area of say an acre or so and scatter maybe 50 or 100 rhizomes randomly through that entire acre, maybe not even that many, maybe 50 would be enough. And then take 50 more and go somewhere else and, and scatter them about. Those deer really like to bed at the base of those miscanthus clumps. And uh, with 111 acres, you definitely need to do something um, to encourage those deer to bed where you want within that 111 acres, not make the whole 111 acres, you know, even as far as the quality of bedding cover, enhance some areas with that miscanthus. And uh, I think you'll be really happy with the results. Real world problems. Half the time we're on consulting visits, we stop and eat a big breakfast with the client while we're waiting for the sun to come up or warm up. And then you go walking for about four hours. And I'm telling you, that's a real world problem. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It's a problem just waiting to happen. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> I told the boys today, we call that either bumper or log squats. And you just got to make sure you got your feet out far enough because you don't want something dropping in your back pocket. That'd be a bad, bad deal. That's for sure. All right. We'll get to the last question here tonight. Okay, the last one comes from Jacob Schulte from West Point, Iowa. He says, love the podcast. Keep up the good work. With the increase of people focusing on food and food plots, combined with you guys emphasizing the importance of having your shooters bed on your property, do you have a suggested acre ratio for bedding to food? Or when out in the field, do you and the dream team seeing the need to focus more on bedding than food? Well, Jacob, that changes with every property. So whenever I go to a property, typically before I get to the, the address where I'm supposed to, to meet the client on their property, I'm looking at the entire countryside. What's on the neighbor's property? What's, you know, for two miles before I get there, I, I want to see what's in shortest supply. Is, is it wide open ag fields everywhere where cover is in shortest supply? Or is it woods and, and you know, brush everywhere and food seems to be in shortest supply? And that is what we've got to address. There is no magic formula, no magic ratio. I don't care what some guy on YouTube told you last week. There is no magic formula. Um, you know, basically we're looking at whatever is, is being provided in the area. Whatever's in shortest supply is what we want to provide the most of. And then when it comes to our food plots, we want to go out and inspect those plots early March, you know, just as spring is starting to break as those deer herds are breaking up and going out to their summer range, we wanna see how much food is left on our property. If we've already run out of food, we know we need to increase our acreage that year for the next winter. And again, there's just no formula whatsoever. It's observation of our specific property um, so that we can eventually get it right. Um, you know, typically, uh, especially in states where you're allowed to supplemental feed, that, that's a really big advantage that those guys have because if their food plots become all consumed, um, they can just start feeding. And if, if supplemental feeding is allowed, I would have a supplemental feeder out there, at least one, uh, depending on the size of the property. Um, anyway, just to diversify the food that you're offering, but uh, no set formula. 
Yeah, today uh, we went to breakfast and we probably spent 20 minutes driving around the section. And what I love doing before I even step foot on a property is I, I go around and we, we look at properties. I got Onyx, you know, going and we start talking about different properties. Does people hunt here? You know, how do they hunt? I want to know what all the neighbors are doing just as much as what the topography is, you know, what the connecting woods are, open ag fields. I want to know the crop rotations of the neighbors just as much as I do on the property that we're on so that we can keep that diversity of food. But a big, big part of what we do is evaluate where bedding is because we need to understand where the where the deer could potentially come from and where they're going to get pressured. And then we use that to our advantage in the plan. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people with foolproof guarantees of what to do on your property. You just can't get that from a topo map or, or watching a video. You got you to gotta look at it, not only your property, but the neighbor's. Yeah, you know, Terry, I, I was really proud today at, at this Salina event because I probably had, uh, I had several former clients there um, that had bought in, you know, to the approach that we preach. Uh, one even came almost 700 miles from Wisconsin to Salina to this event. I also talked to several of Wes's clients, former clients, uh, that he's consulted on in the last two or three years that came to this event. The people that listen and follow, I mean, it was just one compliment after another from these people that, you know, I've been following your plan. I've been following Wes's plan, whatever. Totally changed my property. Actually, during Wes's presentation, there was a young man that uh, Wes put on the spot um, in, in regards to sanctuaries. And Wes had consulted on his property a year ago and it totally transformed his property. So, you know, it's really gratifying to, to me and to, to all of us really when we hear these success stories. And, and a lot of them even today that I heard were not even from former clients. It was just guys that have been listening to the podcast. Hey, I've been listening to you and Terry since episode whatever. They all had different numbers. Uh, some of them said I went back from the beginning and I started and listened to all of them. I'm a better hunter today because of things you guys taught me. You guys have really made me a better deer hunter. Thank you for what you do. And that's just super gratifying to me, whether they were my client or Wes's client or your client or Mark Lusters or Bobby, it doesn't really matter because we're all, we're all trying to help people. And at the same time, uh, you know, we're just uh, trying to be good stewards of the resource, uh, not take advantage of anyone. And uh, just extremely blessed that these people have have trusted us and, and seen the results from tr from trying, you know, doing the things that we're preaching. Yeah, it, so I'm going to spin that a different way. Hearing people say that makes us proud. When people say that we've made them a better father or husband or or Christian, that's that's really humbling. Yeah, um, that's that's we're we're trying to figure out a way to use our passion and this thing that we've dedicated so many years of our life to learning um, to to do something with. That should be an encouragement to anybody, whether you're into any activity, you should be able to do that to to make a difference with others. Uh, speaking of Bobby Worthington, he was on stage tonight up at Ship Shawana. So uh, I believe, wasn't he? 
Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. So you're gonna have to send him a message tonight. I'm I'm worried that all them people from uh, that come in from Michigan and Northern Indiana could understand that Tennessee draw. They might not have understood him too well. Oh, I bet Bobby <laughs> got his point across. Yeah. Good guy. So I hope that he had a big crowd at that show tonight. Um. So we'll see how it goes. We um. We got a big week ahead of us here again. So you're going to be another few days still out West before you come home. I got a busy week going. Um, anything uh, that you can talk about to tee up what you're going to be doing? Well, I've got uh, what, four or five properties. I, I got five, five more days of consulting out here before I get to head home and uh, starting tomorrow morning early. Um, then when I do get home, I've only got, uh, two or three local properties to look at and I'm done. Then, um, was it Friday night, March 3rd, I'm going to be in Henderson, Tennessee for a seminar down there. Uh, I know a lot of our listeners are from the South. Um, they want to know when you come into the South. Well, uh, Henderson, Tennessee is probably not the deep South, but for a guy like me, that's South. It's so, as far uh, as you're going this year. Yeah. So there is an opportunity, guys. Friday, March 3rd, Henderson, Tennessee. Next week, we'll announce more details. I just don't have them with me right now because I'm on the road. But, uh, you know, after that, the only thing left for me is my master classes. And I'm ready to get to work on some habitat projects. That's what I'm ready to do. We both got a lot of projects. And Austin and I were, we had four and a half hours in the car this evening. And, you know, I, I really now appreciate what you and Wes deal with because we're running around like crazy trying to help others with their stuff and our properties kind of get neglected a lot. And uh, that's why I'm not taking many. So I think I have one more weekend after master classes get done that I'm going to be helping somebody here local. And you're going to be doing a huge project with your property this year. I'm going to have a very big project on my hands and my property this year, and I can't wait to uh, haul back a whole gooseneck trailer full of product and uh, from the master classes and get some miscanthus and um, be ready for spring. I'm I am pumped about this coming year. Oh, me too. I just uh, the the surveyor got the survey done on the new property I'm acquiring that butts right up to mine. And I'm telling you, things are falling into place. My property in three years is going to be twice as good as it is today. And today it's the best property I've ever hunted on. I just can't imagine what I'm going to be able to do with this additional acreage. And uh, I've got it all planned out. I'm ready to get get rolling on it. You know, God works in mysterious ways. He He let you basically learn the hard way over all these years. And now you have this property. I can't imagine if you would have had this property like it's going to be from the beginning, how many different directions you would have gone and all of the work that you've put into what you've developed the 30 years to put the style and and technique together to be able to implement that at the first time and not waste time, money or effort in going the wrong direction and trial and error. I'm 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 looking forward to this and, and looking forward to helping you with it. Yeah, I'm going to have four new tree stands this fall on my property that's never been there before. And uh, I mean, I just can't wait to get them in place and, you know, get the situation set up around each one of those stands to make them the best they can be. And, and the additional habitat that I'm going to have as well, it's, 
Well, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to hold a lot more deer, not, and I'm not going to try to hold a lot more deer, but I do think I'm going to be able to hold more older bucks. I'm going to be able to move more of them into the older age classes without them getting killed. Now, I'm still going to lose some, but I think I'm going to be able to carry a lot more into the older age classes. Yeah, I, I think so too. So, and then all my projects on my farm is just going to continue to adapt access and try to get as much food out of small areas as I can, continuing to diversify as my deer numbers just seem to go up every year. The demand for more food just keeps going and going and going. So that's my biggest struggle. I'm feeding a lot of deer. So that's a good thing. Yep. All right. Well, thanks for uh, thanks for staying up late after a long drive and long day on the uh, stage at the uh, seminar today. I'm going to get this thing edited and head to bed and uh, be ready for church in the morning. Thanks for everybody for their support. It means a lot. And uh, we'll check back with you next week. God bless everyone. Have a great week. Chasing Giants has been brought to you by Osseo Camo, by a farm real estate company. 360 Hunting Blinds, Victory Chevrolet, Real World Wildlife Products, Matthews Archery, Novix Tree Stands, Gingerich Tree Farm, WildlifeFarming.com, Quiet Cat, and Vortex Optics. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another episode of Chasing Giants.